When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, SEN Summer Brekkie is powered by Kubota. For over 40 years, we've been making tomorrow matter. Shaping and building Australia together. It's Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis with you covering the world of sport this morning. And it's bloody hard, Mick, to cover everything because yeah. it's all happening around the world. Uh, a reminder that Vossie and Brandy, they are back uh, for breakfast on Monday, February the 12th. Jimmy Smith returns to SEN this afternoon and Joel and Fletch are back on your radio tomorrow for your run home. MC, uh, there was a few games of cricket on yesterday that we've got to unpack. And, uh, I mean, I still struggle to comprehend the significance of the moment uh, yesterday that we witnessed with Shamar Joseph and the Mm. West Indies beating Australia at the Gabba. But to unpack it all, we've got the chief cricket writer, uh, the Daily Telly, Ben Horn on the line. Good morning to you, Ben. Uh, g'day, Capes. G'day, Mick. Um, yeah, amazing day of test cricket all around. What did you make, uh, just in terms of contextualising this, I saw I was in the seven commentary box with Ian Bishop with tears in his eyes in that final moment. We saw vision of Brian Lara embracing with Adam Gilchrist on air and crying, speaking of the significance of the moment. Carl Hooper in the ABC box, crying, almost weeping about what this means. Have you been able to make sense of it all on, is this the West Indies or one of their greatest wins of all time? Yeah, well, it absolutely has to be. And it's just one of those moments that, um, you know, the significance of it, as you said, you can really only get from Test cricket. So... I think it was a moment that the game really needed. Um, certainly West Indies cricket needed it. And hopefully it's a reminder um, to the ICC and those people who are running the game about why you know Test cricket really does need to become a priority and why more needs to be done to help finance Test cricket for these nations like the West Indies. Um, you know, just the spirit that that team showed... Um, Coming back from a ten-wicket loss in Adelaide um, to you know to overcome what they came what they did yesterday and uh, Shamar Joseph obviously being the face of that with um, you know one of the best displays you'll ever see from a visiting player in Australia. But you know, we touched on earlier um, the fact that the goodwill shown to the West Indies and how, how good of a feel-good story it is and. Um, does that gloss over the poor performance of particularly the batters in, in the last two tests and maybe over the, the course of the summer? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, obviously it's an amazing win for the West Indies and, you know, a great moment for Test cricket. But, you know, Australia needs to reflect on what went wrong because that's not a Test match that they should be losing um, on home soil at the Gabba of all places. So, um, look, whether or not... There there did seem to be a bit of a low-key feel to this series, um, particularly this, um, this last Test in terms of the crowds and just the overall interest in the game. So whether or not that um, had somehow kind of seeped its way into Australia's mindset at all. Um, But look, yeah, there's no doubt that batting uh, has been below standard for Australia this summer and um, it cost them that match. Um, And uh, I mean, the the one positive, I suppose, was Steve Smith finding finding form and uh, that's a great confidence booster for Australia to... Uh, to know that um, Steve Smith found his stride as an opening batsman. But, um, yeah, look, the rest of the the top six um, fell short, unfortunately. Yeah, they did, Ben. You're absolutely right. It was the entire summer they were under pressure, weren't they? Pakistan were outstanding. I guess if we're looking at holistically from a summer point of view um, for, for the fans... It really, from my point of view, far exceeded my expectations on competitiveness mm. and what we saw from the opposition teams. Genuinely loved watching unknown players breaking out on the national, international stage mm. like Amir Jamal and Shamar Joseph. Absolutely agree, Copes. Yeah, I mean, even in the uh, first test in Adelaide against the West Indies, yes, it was a 10-wicket win in the end for Australia but um, you know aside from obviously the, the West Indies very poor batting um, they were actually in that test match and if they had have got Tra- Travis Head early um, uh, you know they had a couple of chances to his century was the difference without that that, that test match could have been alive as well so um, I agree um, and you know you love to see that you love to see these guys come to Australia and, and make a name for themselves. And I think Shamar Joseph is, you know, he could be one of the most exciting talents in international cricket now for the next 10 years. And, um, you know, that his contribution in this series will always be remembered. But um, for Australia, look, they've got to, uh, you know, get back to the drawing board and, um, and rediscover that intensity, I suppose, that gave them such success last year because um, they've got India coming next summer and England the summer after and um, you know that, those series will, are going to be on you know Australia's going to be going through a bit of a transitional period with guys uh, ageing maybe some more moving out of the team as the, as the next 12 months goes by and you know those series are going to be on um, so it, it's um, you know you can't be up all the time Australia's probably uh, yeah not, not had not given the best account of themselves this summer but um by the time we get around to next summer, they're going to have to be at their best. Are we any clearer on the, the long-term top order? Mate? Like, obviously, um, Steve, Steve Smith showed enough that he'll start um, the series again in, in New Zealand. I'm assuming that the makeup of that top six won't change heading into mm. the, the test in New Zealand? No, no, not at this stage. I mean... Um... Look, it's only been two test matches for Steve Smith opening and Cameron Green at number four. Um, you know, Cameron Green was a selection that they put a lot of uh, thinking into. You know, the, the, the main priority was getting him into the team. So 
um, he's going to get more than two test matches for sure. And, um, you know, look, he did he did battle quite hard um, in that last innings to get to 40. Um, so maybe he, that's a platform he can build on. Um, but, look, that's definitely the big watches on Cameron Green in New Zealand. Um, at number four, he's going to um, he, he is going to have to rise to the challenge over there. But, yeah, look, I don't see any other immediate changes. Um, obviously, you've got Usman Khawaja and Steve Smith that are kind of reaching that age where um, perhaps it is kind of a series by series or, you know, um, uh, year by year sort of proposition for them. So... You know, look, I think the changes will continue over the next couple of years, but uh, in the short term, I would expect the 11 that we saw yesterday would be the 11 that Australia's hoping takes the field in the first test against India next summer. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, we've had a text come in here from the Eagle Vale Rabbit. Test cricket is alive. Great win by the Windies. England beating India against all odds. Keep your T20. Test cricket is the game. Here, here. I could not agree more with that. Yesterday was the perfect example, as you said, mate. Uh, it, it was magic to watch. Um, and when you're thinking mm. about the significance of England beating India in India, uh, it, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. But we saw two of them in one day. Like, crazy. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. What a comeback. And, um, you know, uh, Ben Stokes saying that that's his greatest victory, greatest triumph as captain. Says a lot because he's had, had some massive moments already um, as England captain. Um, but look, that was an incredible comeback in India where, you know, coming from behind is, is virtually impossible. If you get behind the eight ball in the first innings, it's, um, it's usually curtains. So, um, look, England have... Yeah, the, the cricket they've played over the last couple of years. I know um, there's there's been some controversial moments, and maybe they've been a bit too full of themselves at times. But it is an amazing brand of cricket that they're playing, and you know if they can maintain that uh, for the next uh, two years. I know that seems like a long long time, but the next eighteen months, we really do have an unbelievable Ashes series on the horizon in two summers' time. Because as I said, Australia will be in an interesting period then. I'd expect, you know, all the all the bowlers will still be going at that point, but there could be some further changes to the batting order. Um, that will be a great challenge if, if England can maintain this kind of tempo until then. Yeah, uh, absolutely, Benny. Yeah, love your work. Thanks for joining us today, Benny, and we'll talk more to you soon. He made the first serve. Medvedev goes backhand cross court. Sinner backhand cross court. Medvedev backhand cross court. Up the line by Sinner. Cross court forehand. Medvedev up the line by Sinner. And it finishes in style off his forehand. That has been the absolute devastating wing in this tournament. At full stretch, Yannick Sinner. It's the most appropriate shot to make him a Grand Slam champion. Three hours and 44 minutes, a 22-year-old from Northern Italy has done an incredible job to get back into this match and go on and actually win the whole thing. Oh, BP, when you listen to that back, a pretty magic moment in Australian Open history. But good morning, and how much sleep have you had? 
not much. I didn't actually make it to my bed. The, uh, the couch is going to be gone. <laughs> I just came home and collapsed. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of Australian Opens, and you know, sometimes it becomes a bit of a blur. But uh, how fitting that we finish with the five setter. I can't remember an Australian Open with so many five set matches across uh, the last uh, 15 days, and it didn't look likely uh, last night. You know, Daniil Medvedev was out of the blocks really quickly uh, after, you know, obviously uh, being, uh, you know, two sets um, to love uh, down against uh, Zverev in that uh, final, uh, uh, semi-final on Friday. Uh, he wanted to, you know, make an emphatic start, and he did, and Sinner, you know, Sinner didn't look overawed, but he just looked a bit, you know, sort of... Um, a uh, bit sort of, you know, lost there for answers at times. They had a counteract uh, Medvedev, but, yeah, the tide uh, turned. I mean, Daniil, I think uh, a record in Grand Slam history, no one has spent more time on a court in a tournament than Medvedev. And down the stretch of that match, um, he, he certainly felt it, no doubt. He was, you know, sucking on the gels. He was, you know, the fluids. He was having... Uh, you know, bathroom breaks. Um, he just looked out on his feet as the match wore on, and Sinner looked uh, fresh. I mean, he's played a, a great tournament. And, yeah, a heartbreaker for Medvedev, you know, considering that the same thing happened to him against Nadal you know, two sets up two years ago. Uh, men's tennis, it's it's brutal. You've got to go the journey. And, uh, you know, the, the, the great players just have this ability to sort of reset. And, okay, school board says that, but I'm starting zero and zero again, and here we go. And, yeah, I mean, Sinner, uh, to finish off with that forehand, that was uh, a shot. When you look back at his highlights reel of the whole tournament, uh, that forehand was absolutely on fire. And, uh, yeah, look, it's it's a great story. The Darren Cale effect from an Aussie perspective who's had such a big influence on uh, Yannick. This is the first of many. Uh, this won't be a flash in the pan. He's the real deal. And, you know, Alcaraz has won a couple. Now Sinner's won one. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it was a change last night, not to have Novak Djokovic in the final, let me tell you. It was very different, and uh, well done to Sino. It was too good. As you reflect on the, the tournament now, BP, what one or two moments stand out for you? Yeah, well, um, I think just, yeah, the 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 five-set matches, I, I just can't, I, I can't remember. There's so many. I, I don't have the final tally right in front of me, but... Uh, I think it is the most we've seen in a, uh, in a Grand Slam. And um, I think if you go back to Friday, that was a significant moment in, in tennis to see Sinner beat Djokovic on a court where he has absolutely dominated. And I think, you know, whilst we don't think that uh, Novak's going to disappear, that's the, the end of him, um, he's got a lot more to give still. Uh, and he'll lick his wounds. And, you know, he probably wasn't feeling totally at ease during the whole two weeks of the tournament. Um, but he managed to sort of push through. But to see Sinner beat him legitimately uh, really announced, um, you know, a change uh, to the uh, the dynamic of what the next couple of years is going to look like. Because the reality is, you know, Djokovic is going to be another year older, another year older. So it's going to be t- become tougher, you know, for him to win these grand slams. And these guys now, they've got the full confidence they can beat him. So we felt... There, we're witnessing a real change uh, of the guard in, in, a, in, a, in a sense. Um, and we've seen it back, you know, through many years before where we see that little change and shift as, you know, the older player, um, you know, just doesn't quite have the same capacity that he's had, you know, the year or two before. So I think that stood out 
you know, for me. And then he goes on to win the whole thing sooner when it d- didn't look likely last night. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah, an incredible final to cap it all off. Yeah, you're right, BP. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Charlie Goodsir uh, with us this morning, and I'm going to get him to hit the audio from uh, Novak, who was talking after the loss in that semi-final. Let's take a listen. First, I want to congratulate uh, Sinner for playing a uh, great match, uh, great tournament so far. He's deservedly in the finals. He outplayed me completely today. I was, um, in a way, shocked with my level, you know, in a, in a, in a bad way. I mean, <laughs> not much I was uh, doing right in the first two sets. Yeah, I guess this is one of the worst Grand Slam matches I've ever played, at least that I remember. So, um, yeah, you know, not, not a very pleasant feeling playing this way. But at the same time, you know, credit to him for doing everything better than me, you know, uh, in every aspect of the game. Always, BP, always uh, really interesting hearing champions reflect on adversity uh, and when they lose. Uh, you know, I've often experienced it with Steve Smith and numerous others that, you know, it, when they get out or when they talk about failure, it's just very different to normal people on how they talk about it. Djokovic, no different. No, spot on. And look, I, I think, you know, it was going to take uh, for a sinner to beat him, it was going to take uh, Djokovic being a little below his level and then Yannick rising his level. So somewhere in, in that mix, you know, that was going to give, uh, you know, sinner the chance to actually uh, knock him off. I mean, when when I you know, think about that match and reflect on it, you know, I mean, Sinner did play great tennis. I mean, he, he to me, legitimately deserved to win the match. And, uh, and he built the pressure early on uh, Djokovic. This is what Sinner did uh, all tournament. I mean, you know, sitting up close and watching him last night, the way he moves, his movement is elite, you know, inside that baseline, which means you're taking the ball early, you're directing the traffic, you're the conductor out there, so to speak, and... Um, yeah, you know, legitimately deserves the win, and you know, I think it'll be fascinating now to see what the final stanza of Djokovic's career is going to look like. I mean, we've, we've often said you know, he, he could be one injury away from it all ending, or you know, is it just the reality that Father Time's going to eventually catch up with him? It's going to become harder. I mean, he'll look at you know, Jimmy Connors at 39, uh, <laughs> made a U.S. Open uh, semi-final, and. You know, was doing that on adrenaline, as many others who played late into their careers and still had uh, success. But, you know, the physicality of the sport right now is at the, its highest peak. And, you know, as good as Novak is physically, um, these young guys have, you know, got the fresher legs. Um, we'll see. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, the year, I can't quite sort of predict how it's going to uh, work out. I mean, you know, Roland Garros is a little... Uh, away now until May and you know if Nadal comes back for that is, is he still maybe a contender and maybe his last role in Garros I mean Djokovic will bounce back he'll be you know certainly come the grass of Wimbledon you know still a formidable force and then Alcaraz is interesting too because Sin has now sort of taken the mantle of the best um, young player uh, in form at the moment from last year into this year so Alcaraz has got some work to do so yeah a lot of questions to be answered in uh, men's tennis this year. An interesting story which caught my eye, BP, was around let and and removing that from um, well, the Tennis Australia pushing to try and remove that from um, the Australian Open and potential other Grand Slams. Can you give us an insight into 
how that may that may play out and what some sort of resistance they might face. Sorry, Michael, you said Lex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I, I I've banged on banged on about this for quite a while. I, I would just scrap them. Um, yeah, I, I think they're ridiculous. I mean, most of the time, most of the time, they are the finest uh, let that does not affect the trajectory of the ball whatsoever. Play on for mine. Mm. There's two things I'd fix. Uh, let's, and I, I would I would bring in sudden death juice, right? We see it in the doubles. Uh, it hasn't been brought into singles. It adds a, a bit of um, drama to and, and the cutthroat nature to the point in the doubles. And I think if tennis, whilst um, you know, whilst you know, we don't mind the long battle. Right? That's just part of tennis. I mean, tennis has got to be conscious too of the product, time finishing, attention span of the uh, viewers and the, the new fans that are going to come into the sport over the next 10 to 20 years who are busy with their lives. You know, do you want to sit through a four-hour match? Well, if we have sudden death juice, that would cut the juice advantage, juice advantage. I, I like the drama around that too, but I reckon I would bring that in. But the let's, yeah, college tennis, they don't play let's. The next-gen finals, which is held at the back end of the year for the 21 and unders, they don't play let's, they just play on. And occasionally you're going to get the dodgy bounce, right? Or the one that's just unplayable. You cop that. But I would say, you know, 80, 90% of the lets, it's just play on. You wouldn't even know that it's touched the net. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that they're thinking about that now and really putting it on the agenda. Yeah, good call. And, uh, it's, you know, for the betterment of the sport, you're always looking to improve it. So... Uh, we've got Yannick Sinner, the massive come from behind win. Sabalenka winning the women's final. We've got Aussies, oh, Matty Ebden, he wins in the doubles. So it was a yeah. great finish to the Australian Open. The first serve your show back on SEN tonight from 8 p.m. You have had a massive couple of weeks, <laughs> BP. Thanks for keeping us up to speed throughout. Now, pleasure to chat, guys. And, yeah, we're back for our 16th year on SEM, which is brilliant. And uh, you'll continue talking to the world of tennis every Monday night because we're only just getting started in in a long tennis season. Yeah, love your work, mate. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Cheers. We're here for Brighton's lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness, contact Brighton's lawyers. Conference championship finals today in the NFL. And it's kicked off. As we speak, MC, oh, we are both massive NFL fans. Looking forward to this. The Chiefs, Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. I'm sure Taylor Swift is in the house. Haven't seen uh, any taking... shots of Taylor yet, so it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> oh, what are they doing on broadcast? Uh, up against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. That one in the first quarter. That's the AFC Championship game that has kicked off already. And then later today, 10.30 a.m. Sydney time, the Lions take on the 49ers. That's going to be a ripping match. Mm. I, I mean... I'm a 49ers fan, MC. I'm not sure your uh, predictions on these matches, but the Lions, an incredible story. Uh, yeah. So, I'd, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are your predictions this morning? I'm going to go Chiefs 49ers. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I think I think the Ravens might actually get it done, and the 49ers, I'm not, I'm not saying on air that they're not going to win because yeah. that'll be bad juju. Yeah. <laughs> but the NFL, it's, uh, it's the business end, and it's magic this time of year, American sports. The playoffs... All on the line. LeBron James yesterday, a magic game uh, in the NBA as well. So it's all happening. Uh, speaking of the NFL, I, I went and saw Tom Brady yeah, last night. I'm MC. so interested in this. It was, uh, I mean, he, he talked about 
yeah, was starting to rattle off. The MC asked him a few questions, and he was sitting there, and he was like, oh, went through the college stories and the, you know, the high school stuff, and then he goes into, you know, and then I, then I was behind Drew Bledsoe, and Drew Bledsoe gets injured. I walk into the game, and I said to myself, when I walk onto the NFL field, the Patriots ain't ever going to take me off, mm. and they didn't take me off for 22 years. And then he was like, and then I won the Super Bowl in my first year, and then the second year we didn't win, but it was a good year. Uh, the third year I won a Super Bowl, and it was like, and then I won another Super Bowl, <laughs> and another Super Bowl, and another Super Bowl. Uh, it was pretty remarkable just to hear it out of the horse's mouth. Uh, you know, that's one of those things where once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, he told some pretty incredible stories. Um, but just hearing him speak, even just seeing him in person, he's, yeah. he's a, really tall. Yeah. Compared to like what you might see on a football field or your perceptions, really tall. But yeah, Tom you're Brady not, in Brisbane you're not, last night. You're not short. Being surrounded <laughs> by and, and fast bowlers and the like. Where, where does he stand next to him? What's his body shape like? Yeah, well, he's uh, still in good order. Mm. Uh, and he's he's taller than me, MC. So wow. I'm six foot four and a half. Okay. Um, just under two meters tall. And he's right there with me. Um, and there were some cool stories last night. So one of them that stood out, um, he was talking about, he's like, oh, you know what? I don't want to name drop. And then he was like, I had dinner with Michael Jordan five days ago. And the, the MC was like, <laughs> and the whole room like was cracking themselves laughing, uh, thinking to ourselves. And then he was like, you know what? That's actually probably the biggest name drop you can do. Yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting yeah. across the table from Michael Jordan thinking to myself, oh my God, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like I'm mates with this guy, but like he was my idol. Um, and he said that out of this, he was telling a story about he f- came out of his shoe deal when he was retiring from the NFL. And he said to himself and a few of his mates, including his agent, I need to up my sneaker game. Okay. I really, you know, I've got to up my sneaker game. I'm, you know, that old dad, I don't look cool enough. Sneakers is one thing I can really control. Okay. Uh, so he said that he went and spoke to the guy who were at the pro shop at Jordan's Golf Club because he knew you're obviously going to get in some great Jordans, you know, the coolest versions, MJ be looking after the pro shop. So he's like, tell me when you get in the best new styles or the originals and I'll put them aside, ring me, I'll come and buy them. You know, not asking for anything special. And then about four hours later, he said, he said, no worries. And then four hours later, he said, mate, I've just, would you believe it, finished a round of golf with MJ. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him about your story and you wanted some shoes. And he's like, I'm actually a size 13 too, would you believe? So I'll hook you up. And then two days later, he's like, I was sitting to myself thinking, I'm going to get like maybe a call to go up and pick a pair of Jordans up. And he's like, arrived at my door, a hundred pairs of Michael Jordan's Jordans. Stop I was it. wanting Jordan shoes. I was going to go and pay for them. But I then had not just Jordans, not just up my sneaker game, but I had Michael Jordan's Jordans in my own house. And that for me, like you're talking the guy that's, one Super Bowls and everything. Yeah. That was like crazy. 100 pairs. Seriously, seems you don't need that many seems shoes. Seems excessive. <laughs> what shoe <laughs> size are you? Excessive. Did you put your hand up for once? I made a... The MC did. The oh, MC yeah. was like, well, as it turns out, I'm a 13 too. <laughs> like, and Brady, Brady's response was great. He was like straight away off the cuff. He's like, damn, you better get yourself a good friend there. Because <laughs> you ain't getting shoes from me. Uh, but it was cool that some of the athletes in the room. Yeah. So Luke Hodge was on stage first. Um, obviously, AFL legend. Um, and he was talking to Reese Walsh and Lockie Neal. Um, Lo- Lockie Neal was great talking. He came up as basically the the start of the night um, and, and got up and told some cool stories. But Reese Walsh, after the whole Tom Brady chat, Reese Walsh, and this is you've probably seen it online. If you haven't, jump online. It's it, the, Everyone that was there last night was posting about it. Uh, Volkanovsky caught a pass from Tom Brady on Saturday in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, 
Reese Walsh, there was sort of after the VIP tables, there was a, a walkway before the rest of the, the seating, about 40 metres from the stage, and it ran the entire breadth of the, the room that we were in. There was a couple of thousand people there. And he said, righto, line up on the left, I'll call hut, you run laterally, and I'll throw it from the stage, and let's see if you can catch it. And if you can catch it, I'm going to give you a sign ball. So Reese Walsh, <laughs> he starts on the far left of uh, the room, and he says hut, sprints, he hits him flush on the chest. Reese Walsh makes a great, like, a genuine catch, like he's catching it on the wing for the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, and, and goes and uh, does a gronk spike in the corner <laughs> of the room. It was pretty magic to watch. Just so talking, the stories and stuff from Tom Brady, but then we actually, in the flesh, get to see him let rip a few passes. And Reese Walsh got to catch one of them. There was a, a kid, a 12-year-old, that was you know, part of an auction item. He got to catch a few balls from Brady as well. Pretty magic just to be in the, in the presence of a guy with that sort of aura and life story. Did he touch on um, Bill Belichick and, you know, his departure from the Patriots or anything like that, or was that all off limits? Uh, it, it must have been off limits. I mean, that was one level of disappointment I had was the MC really didn't probe in, okay. really didn't ask any difficult questions. Um, and, like, we got a few anecdotal stories about it, uh, the career along the way, but it was very much about lessons learnt. Uh, how to stay ready and be ready rather than okay. complain about not getting opportunities, things like that. So, no, we didn't get any little nuggets of gold that aren't public consumption knowledge. Um, but, yeah, it was so cool. Just to, after the day that we'd had, mm. we're getting into a situation where we'd seen one of the great test match finishes. We get in a cab five minutes later, yeah. and then we're sitting with Tom Brady. Then yeah. you come home and you get Yannick Sinner overturning, you know, a, an unbelievable comeback um, in... The, the the tennis so and you get crazy. to sit here and do breakfast with me the next day on par yeah I mean it's 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 up there <laughs> three you know, I don't know even three bucket list items <laughs> yeah exactly right exactly and I'm sure everyone uh, those of you listening uh, this is yeah bucket list stuff up there with Tom Brady as well uh, what about uh, speaking of legends this actually shocked me a bit on the weekend was Jurgen Klopp announcing that he's stepping down as the Liverpool manager before we chat about it let's take a listen. I can understand that it's a shock for a lot of people in this moment when you hear it the first time, and, but obviously I can explain it, or at least try. I, I love absolutely everything about this club. I love everything about the city. I love everything about our supporters. I love the team, love the staff, love everything. That I still take this decision probably will or shows you that I'm convinced it's the one I have to take. It is that I'm running out of energy. I have no problem now, obviously, I think I, I know it already for, for longer, but I um, know that I cannot do the job again and again and again and again. And after all the years we had together and after all the time we spent together and after all the things we went through together, the respect grew for you, the love grew for you, and the least thing I owe you is the truth, and that's the truth. And that is the truth, uh, MC. Good. It was a bit of a shock, but firstly, a reflection on Jurgen Klopp, the manager, from my point of view. Charisma, uh, his energy on the sideline and the success that Liverpool had uh, as soon as he walked in that building. Uh, it, he energised fans. He got the best out of players. And uh, we, we're all better for having had him in the EPL for so long. And, and you mentioned the word fans there, Copes, and that was probably the thing that stood out for me was the reaction, the sadness, and even grief. Um, yeah. that poured out from Liverpool fans as we sort of woke up to, to that news, I think on Sunday morning, maybe. Um, yeah. and, and just reading some of the comments and seeing their reaction and, and you know, 
how much um, he's meant to to the fans, to the club, and um, to that organisation. So massive hole, massive void now to yeah. to see who who scrambles for that position. Yeah, absolutely. And just in the NFL update, you would have uh, planned this. This is coming. 7-0 to the mm. Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. An early touchdown for the Chiefs in the NFL. The AFC Championship game underway against Baltimore. Now, time for your own segment. You come on the show, you demand that you have your own segment. Yes. Um, in the production meetings, you're like, no. Part of my Trent, deal No, here. we can't do this. No, yeah. we can't do that. I need to talk about players under pressure. Yeah. We've done a few. You kicked it off last week. Yeah. Who have we got today? That, in terms of teams, who are we talking about? And then let's kick it off with your first one. We're talking to talk. We're going to talk Titans and Manly. Um, okay. So two sides that didn't make the top eight last year. Um, one side in Manly, I've got huge hopes for this year, and another side yep. in the Titans who have got a new a new coach who knows what success is in, in Des Hasler. And um, so we'll start with the Titans. And one of the the most interesting moves that Des Hasler has made already in the off season is to switch AJ Brimson. Um, yeah. AJ Brimson's going to start in the centers, having had such a an impact at at fullback. And one of the criticisms criticisms around Justin Holbrook last year was the failure, I guess, of um, or the inability to have Jaden Campbell, um, Kieran Four, and and AJ Brimson all on the field at the one time and and having an impact because they need Brimson um, and Campbell on the field performing. But Brimson, yeah, it's a really interesting move for him. He's not the biggest player, so it's going to be. Interesting to see how he how he plays at centre. Will he have that roaming role? Um, you know, at his best, he's an origin player. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, he, he'd need a few injuries now because he's gone behind the Ponga and Reese Walsh and, the, and those sort of guys. But, you know, potential off the bench if there's a few injuries, you know, in the lead-up to that series. But um, if that centre position doesn't work, you know other clubs will be circling and saying, mate, we'll give you the number one jersey if that's what you want. Yeah. No uh, doubt. I don't think, and I don't think there's any doubt that he's a, a very good... NRL level fullback mm. and you know at times even potentially an origin level fullback um, but I think it's the right move and you know this is from a fan's perspective certainly not an expert but it just struck me as every time that he or Campbell weren't on the field yeah it was a bad move for the Titans prospects so I think that's where this is coming from no doubt no doubt and I don't know why or you know Tanner Boyd's there you know he's fine but you know, I thought the the solution would have been to play one of them in the halves and four in at seven, and probably Campbell or or, or Brimson at fullback, and that's probably an easier way to, to get him in the side. But, um, you know, if he can have some sort of impact at centre, because we know Campbell's going to have an impact, and we know Foran's going to still, you know, do his role um, in, in running that side, then, uh, you know, it could turn him into a, an attacking force, the Titans. But, yeah, AJ Brimson, big year for him. Yeah, absolutely. We've got some uh, breaking news here from the Brisbane Eel. My mail, Wayne will leave the Dolphins halfway during the NRL season to take over from Klopp at Liverpool as Ooh. a long-term option. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Uh, I'd, I'd enjoy the press conferences uh, with yeah. Klopp and uh, everyone behind Wayne Bennett. Uh, but let's move on to your next player under pressure, mate. And this time, let's talk Manly. Manly, right. So obviously, the easy one there is probably Tom Trevojevic, but Luke Brooks. Yep. Um, is the one yeah. for, for me because he arrives with expectation, but a different type of expectation that's been on his shoulders at the West Tigers. At the West Tigers, he was their million-dollar player. When everyone abandoned ship, he was the guy still there. Um, he was a guy entrusted to try and, and turn that side into a a finals team, and it just didn't happen. He's played 200-odd games and hasn't played finals footy yet um, for, for Luke Brooks. But he arrives at Manly, 
in a completely different role. You know, he's got Daly Cherry Evans inside of him, you know, still amongst the top two halves in the game. You know, Nathan Cleary one, Daly Cherry Evans two for mine in terms of number sevens. You've got Tom Travojevic out the back. You've got that forward pack. And Luke will, will probably has arrived there at preseason and gone, wow, what have I been missing out on for the last decade with that caliber <laughs> of play inside and out? And, you know, his greatest strength is his running game. He's just not a strong voice, Luke Brooks. So when he was entrusted to, to lead that side, it just didn't work because that's not his nature. That's not his demeanor. Um, but now unshackled um, and away from the pressure, I guess, of being the main man, I think he can he can really thrive. And the Cherry Evans-Brooks combination and, and Tom Trevojevic and Lockie Croker does a, a really good job for them at nine as well, probably a bit underrated, un- understated his role. But, you know, if he can just provide clean service and you've got those guys, you've got Schuster and Olakowatu and Cooler and Saab and Garrick, I think there's a huge amount of points in, in Manly and I think Luke Brooks can have a, a cracking year and could you know, make a case to be the buyer of the year, which would be a total frustration for every single West Tigers fan who have put up with <laughs> subpar performances from him for the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a really good one that you've highlighted there. And uh, it's, as you said, it strikes as the kind of guy that could come in and particularly during the origin phase where Cherry Evans yeah. is away playing representative football <laughs> and they need someone to lead the charge so you're not dropping games. Mm. And in the absence of, you know, others through injury, if it heaven forbid something happens to Tom, can take that extra responsibility, knows how to lead a team. Yeah. But you would expect that he can also play really good second fiddle. Yeah. And you're thinking left side only, Cherry Evans right side, or do you think it'll be a bit of a, a mesh between the two? I, I think, I hope the way Manly plays that they've got a lot of players on the ball because I think we've got to, obviously Tom Trevoyby's got to play both sides. I think Cooler's got to play both sides as well if they're going to try and get him in the game because we saw the back end of the year when he was playing at fullback, how dynamic he, he can be. So if they have those players playing on both sides of the field with Olokowato and hopefully a, a, a fit and firing Schuster on, e- on either edge as their pillars, I think that's scary. I think there's, there's some genuine attacking threat there from the Seagulls. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's your players under pressure. MC running zone segments. Love ah. this. Love this. Uh, and those two, AJ Brimson. And Luke Brooks, under pressure, no doubt. You can have your say this morning. Our open line is one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. The lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. We're here for Brighton's lawyers. Unable to work due to injury or illness? Contact Brighton's lawyers. Ah, uh, yes, it's SEN Summer Brecky, Trent Copeland, and Michael Carianis with you. The Brighton's lawyers. Your verdict is back. All you have to do is pick one NRL winner each week for the chance to win two thousand five hundred bucks. Head to sensurvivor.com.au. It's all thanks to Bryden's lawyers. Now, MC, we've talked about one of the great comeback wins in Test cricket history uh, yesterday at the Gabba. Shamar mm. Joseph taking seven wickets. But I'm interested if you if you saw or heard the ceremony after the match. I'm going to play some audio here. Craig Brathwaite, the captain. After the celebrations, after it all settled down and they were talking about the significance of the win, take a listen to this. Extremely proud. Um, I must say, we had two words, you know, that inspired us in this last match. Mr. Ronnie Hawk said we're pathetic and hopeless. So, my, so, so that was our inspiration. We wanted to show the world we're not pathetic. And I must ask him, are these muscles big enough for him? Are these muscles big enough for him? And he, well, whilst talking to Isha Guha, gave a big flex and showed off his bicep. How's that, Rodney Hawk? Cop that. That's a fair serve. If you throw them, you've got to be able to, to um, take them too. So um, I don't mind that at all. It's all part of the theatre of, of sport. And I always find it interesting when teams use 
quotes as inspiration and the like. Like, I, I think that's a weird headspace to get into when you try to use other people's, unless it's the opposition. If the opposition saying that, I get it. But if if it's someone that's, you know, a, a pundit or, a, you know, an ex-player or something like that, I find it a bit strange. But they were harsh words from Rodney Hogg and um, good on the West Indians for throwing it back. Yeah, Adam Zampo are pretty famous for keeping receipts uh, as well after big tournament wins, things like that. Uh, just an update from the NFL, the AFC Championship game going on as we speak, almost half time there uh, in Baltimore. 14-7 as we speak to Kansas City. Pat Mahomes, 152 yards and a touchdown, and Isaiah Pacheco, uh, he scored a touchdown there as well. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 67 yards and a touchdown to Zay Flowers. So that one heating up with the Lions and the 49ers to come after that. MC, there's been quite a few texts that have come in this morning. Might do a couple. And then we've got a little uh, shush mm. seg from the Daily Telly. So you rattle off a few texts and I'll, I'll hit you with a few shush segs after that. Yep. All right. Um, Julian says, hey, boys, not much immediately from the joke after his loss. See you later. I thought he was all right. No back after yeah. his loss. No. Oh, he, yeah, he was filthy. He, he was sort of... I think that's in reference to saying it, I played at a shocking level, um, not necessarily that well done to the opposition, despite yeah. saying it. Yeah, I, I didn't have a huge issue with it. Port Macquarie Pearl, boys, do you reckon a tennis player could come up with a different celebration than lying on the court? It's getting a bit old. Well, come on, Pearl. Send us through your suggestion. Do you have yes. any ideas? Let's hear it. Do you have any ideas, oh, I mean, what, You've only got a tennis racket and not much else... Yeah, you know, in terms of at your disposal options, you can't jump into the crowd and give it the piggy Riddell. Yes, it's the the hoardings are too high. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit lost for options. What about you? Anything else? Mm, not really. I can't think of anything. But if if Pearl, if you have a better option, let us know and and we can throw it out uh, <laughs> as well. Australia often loses dead rubbers. This is from TMCQ. Um, once again, saying they are overpaid results, they don't give a rat's. They still get piles of cash. Well, I think they care. <laughs> oh, the text line is always enjoyable. 0457 736 736. And the open line, 1300 01 1170. Just before we hit the news, I'm going to ask you two questions here, and I want your answer off the cuff. Okay. This first shush from mm. the Daily Telly. Which NRL coach has surrounded his club's training facility with heavy mesh to stop spies peering in? Okay. I haven't got out to training as yet, so I don't know... By character, this by answer, character, who would this be? I'm going to say it's one of the new coaches. Okay. And one that springs to mind is Des Hasler. <laughs> Given the madness, and you know, yeah. I've seen him do it at, at Canterbury, um, and then at Manly as well. So I'm going to say Desi to to that one. Yeah, I could see Wayne Bennett doing something like that as well. I don't think uh, Wayne. No, no, I think you don't reckon. No, Wayne doesn't play those games. Wayne doesn't care as much as people think. Um, he wouldn't let Just that stuff. Press conferences. He wouldn't let that stuff bother him. Yeah, fair true. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, very true. Uh, the last one we'll do just before we hit the news. Which Sydney rugby league journo was left with the bill after catching up for brunch with an NRL coach who is notoriously careful with his money? Is this you? Firstly, well, no, no, it wasn't me. No, no. <laughs> um, um, and uh, I'm gonna go Des Hasler again. A Des <laughs> double. Notoriously careful with his oh, money. Oh, yeah, he is massively tight. Massively tight. The Sydney tight. Rugby League journo. Got any names there? Well, it's, I don't want to give any giveaways here. It's Dean Ritchie's okay. column. Oh, I'd say it might have been Dean Ritchie. 
Yeah, okay. Let's run with that. I think. Oh, there you go. Poor Des, he's copped a pizzling this morning. Mm. Uh, and there, <laughs> and part of the under-pressure segment as well, moving AJ Brimson uh, to the centres. But all interesting stuff. That's a little shush segment from the Daily Telly. Uh, the score just before halftime in the Kansas City-Baltimore game, 14-7. Plenty more to come after the news.